Tonight we're going to talk about the first episode of the third season of Amazon's The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yay, I'm so glad it's back, Polly. Was this something that you were looking forward to? It is. I might be one of the only heterosexual men to say that out loud, but the writing is kind of uh, head and shoulders above other comedies, you know, in terms of like if you're if you're kind of burned out on that sitcom kind of feel or other things kind of qualify as dramedies these days that have funny moments, but they're they're meant to kind of be serious at the same time. And this is this is mostly an hour-long comedy with just little touches of drama here and there. It's the only thing like it. And it doesn't really matter to me that it's about a woman and all that kind of stuff. It's it's still... That's so big of you. I know. It's, that the main um, strong character who's hilarious happens to have a vagina. That's like awesome. That that's as really woke as I get. That. That's as woke that's amazing. as it comes. Look at that. That's like 2020 amazing. Yep. No lasers, Uh, no lightsabers. Oh, goodness. Haven't we been full up on lasers and lightsabers up in this place? Never. So full, guys. Palpatine, what not? What you gonna do with a Snoke? I mean, here I am, just trying to enjoy my female-driven comedy. And, you know, I've got, I've got all kinds of robes and sabers running through the room. It's a whole scene, really, for the most part. I really was looking forward to this. It makes me wonder when you say that about uh, the only heterosexual male who enjoys the show. It makes me wonder who exactly this has found footing with. And I was watching a couple little interviews in between episodes and I saw that the Jewish culture was really embracing this as giving them an opportunity to show some different aspects which actually did come out in this episode just tiny little nuggets here and there of course there's big moments of course we have high holidays and stuff like that but the small moments like Midge not knowing the words to white Christmas didn't occur to me mainly because in my very like Christian centric world that we seem to live in in the south where you live in Texas we don't seem to have a ton of Jewish culture. Like our kids are not out of school for Jewish holidays, things like that, where I know in the Northeast, they certainly are. It didn't occur to me, I guess, that something like White Christmas, which I just consider part of just like mainstream, you hear it in the grocery store kind of culture. It wouldn't occur to me that you wouldn't know the words or something to that it's not like christians are taught the words to christmas songs that's true we don't go to class if there's anyone who is not christian and they think that christians go somewhere and are taught the words to songs we all only know the songs because we're exposed to them in public forums like you know i got in elementary school Actually, no, sure, but I also learned dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. No, you yeah, didn't that, learn that, that one. That's Made the it one. out of clay, what have right, you. Right. So, um, so I thought that was kind of funny, and I wondered if that was something that I mean, specifically White Christmas. It wasn't away in a manger. Okay, like that, I could see if you're saying like, no, that you only learn in church or something, right? Something very specific to church. No one sings White Christmas in church. No. It's not a religious song. So I thought that was kind of funny, but interesting. Interesting. She would have just never been exposed to it. I mean, if there was a a movie out there called like Blue Hanukkah, I probably wouldn't go see it. Weird. Okay. All right. So she, so, so the shoes on her foot, she didn't, she's, there's a movie called White Christmas. She's like, nah, 
I don't I don't have any any uh, background to want to see that. So are you thinking that in the 50s there wasn't like music being piped in anywhere? Like because I feel like like in the Christmas story, the movie that we've seen, like the department stores pipe in music. Like B. Altman. Right. They don't pipe in Christmas music. Oh, I'm sure they do. Well, that's where I would have heard it. She's constantly talking. <laughs> Okay, well, that might be a whole other reason. This episode is called Strike Up the Band, and it was the USO-based first sort of getting her feet wet, starting off on this tour. What did you think? Did you think that they did a good job of sort of giving us a little taste of what a tour might look like in terms of like the backstage, what dealing with other talent might look like, etc.? You just said little taste, but I feel like it was only a little taste for a first episode. I felt like the danciness of Amy and the musicalness of Daniel spilled over a little bit too much into this one and created a lot of moments where we're just watching the entertainers perform. And that's not terrific TV for me. Oh, it's not? Okay, well, so that is part of their signature creation, basically. And whether it's Gilmore Girls or Bunheads or really anything that they have a little dabbling in, you're going to have moments where it seems like every other show would have clipped this off. But like Shy Baldwin sang an entire song. That's what I mean. The entire choreography. I appreciated some of it, like that the tap dancers continued to tap dance through like the majority of the beginning of the of the show that was kind of funny uh, because they were just like this constant series of energetic legs and arms moving around and so that was funny because it kind of set the tone for how frenetic Maisel really is yeah the thing though that I felt like that was missing in this episode that I think you would have already gotten a little nugget taste of is there was zero interaction between Midge and any of the other talent besides Shy? Meaning, when she walked by all the tap dancers, to me, it would not have been out of line for a tap dancer to give her like a stink eye. Or like when there was like other talent coming off of the stage. It seems like there could have been some like shoulder bumping or some interactions. Maybe good, maybe bad. Maybe, maybe it is her first day. Uh, yeah, but that doesn't, I'm saying within the women universe, I'm just saying, I think if you plunked down and especially if you're sort of like big chip on your shoulder is like, I'm not a singer. I'm not a singer, right? I'm putting that in big fat ear quotes. I'm not one of those singer types. I'm not a dancer. I'm not one of those. You might, if you were other people on the tour and you might have heard that even said, which because she even says it a couple times in this episode, you might kind of give her like the, well, I am a dancer or I am a singer. And so I don't know, it would not surprise me. And I certainly won't be shocked if as the tour goes on, we find that there's any amount of like animosity and or just competitiveness amongst the various groups or maybe there's going to be a lot of camaraderie. I don't know, but there was nothing. There was no interaction, which is... I say would ring false, especially on your first day. Go back to, um, you know, sort of like that Paris moments, like the second she walks into Chilton, there's like a boom, you know, like laying down the law, territorial, peeing all over your your boundaries, you know, that it's just like, I think that people would do that. I think there would be something there. She means Paris Geller from Gilmore Girls, not Paris, the setting from season two of Mrs. Maisel. Yeah, good, good, good. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Except for just her banter with the soldier that was like right dealing with her right then. She didn't do any kind of interacting with anybody else, which her character, I think she kind of 
She would. Does. Oh, man, she would. Like, the way that she was doing that over and over to that officer who was, like, in charge of the schedule, she 100% would have been poking and commenting and, you know, she, like, when she walks through B. Altman in every one of those scenes, she's like, oh, that lipstick would look good on you. Oh, mm, I love that dress. Like, she's constantly commenting. I don't think she would be backstage or walking past all those different performers without consistent commentary that's just what she does so i was missing that because that would actually help me focus more on the dynamic of what being on a tour would be as opposed to watching her and watching a show meaning that what was going on on stage just as an audience member like i want to be behind the scenes with miriam cutting shit with these people, you know, just acting up. That's what I want to be doing. What do you think of all those dick jokes, Paul? That was like a rapid fire dick joke backstage. Uh, what What was amusing about that was that she, I think she, as a character, probably had half of them ready to go. And then the other half she just thought of uh, or, or remembered and didn't have in her back pocket. But they occurred to her like the Richard, you know, that, <laughs> that joke. That was amusing. I like that. That was funny. And and again, it reminded me and maybe other viewers that when she goes on stage, she doesn't have a prepared set the way that she used to. Remember the whole tight 10? Yeah. That was like a really big deal. And she, they even showed it repetitively how she would like tighten it up every time and get a better laugh. This is not really like that. This is back to the original Miriam go up there a little off the cuff, really kind of layer in that improv part. And sometimes that works for her. And sometimes she gets herself into trouble. But for the most part, people really react to her coming up with something on her feet. And it seems very apparent to the audience when she does it, like they erupt in laughter, you know, even though clearly she could have had like a bunch of those, you know, in her back pocket ready to go. Sure. So in terms of timing, this was 1959. And I like that they layered it in with the Marianne Mobley because I actually knew she's a real Miss America because in case y'all don't know my little secret, I enjoy the pageantry. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I just love it. It was the original reality TV show thing to watch. Before there was reality TV, you could vote off contestants in pageants. And so I loved watching pageants. I loved watching them and scoring people and judging their asses, like both literally and figuratively, Uh, you know, whether or not I thought they would get to the next round. That's like exactly why people love Survivor and all those shows now. It's the same premise, people. Don't, don't, think you're better than me because you like reality tv <laughs> and i enjoy the pageantry pageants have changed y'all now they're all like doctors and astrophysicists it's amazing but old Marianne mobley i liked that they just said she was 1959 rather than like beating us over the head with the time frame Mm. That was like a very subtle, just like, oh, we're in 1959. And that little part where Susie like used her sash to make notes on. (laughs) Ah, (laughs) Susie, she's so funny. She brought brought the Suze as always. Let's talk about Suze. What's going on with Suze, Polly? Suze. You don't have to call her Suze just because I just called her Suze. It's it's cool. Suzanne. Now that we're in the third season of this show, we're starting to see bigger departures from the characters that we met in the first season. Second season was still pretty transitional, but now we're starting to see some movement, right? And Suze is one of them. She is gaining confidence in her role as manager uh, of, of comedic talent. And so the same Susie that we got in this episode basically saying I've put my foot down and I'm I've thought about it it's not an emotional response I, I, I need 
practically to to manage Sophie. And that's just that. I mean, in first season, there would have been a little bit. I mean, she probably could have made that same decision, but it would have been it would have felt more emotional, more well, snappy, sure, for sure. more like I'm doing it because you said I can or something, something like that. It, it It's just um, this is more reasoned and and and, and actually a good point. Uh, yeah, especially because now with the tour, she isn't going back to her regular job. It isn't the same thing as when she was club managing her and she still was working her day job kind of thing or night job, however you look at it. But in this case, it's like, no, if she's going on the road, I mean, she has to have a steady you know, stream of income. And really, it I, I, I can see it from all ways in terms of like, don't you want, you know, the management company to grow because then that's only going to give you more opportunities for Mrs. Maisel. And then also there's that feeling of like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I am gen- jealous and envious and I don't want you to spend any time with Sophie Lennon. And then, of course, we have that really ugly layer of Sophie was a complete bitch to Midge. So what do you like? Are you going to go sign up to go with the only act in town that has been like an active hag to your current client like that's the only bummer you know well i mean it, yeah it's a bummer but she's also the biggest name in comedy around 100 percent. but i'm just saying i back midge in the the moments of like how why ah i'm hoping that she's gonna come around and feel like okay i get it and it's only all for the good for everybody that Susie become a bigger, better manager. However, I would I would definitely have that initial like of all the gin joints. Like why? Well, why Sophie got to walk into mine? You know, there could be that moment where the big star insists that the manager lose the the, the smaller one. I, th- I think that isn't that like almost like textbook. That it's like really seems like it could be coming. If it doesn't, then I don't know anything about TV. <laughs> well, mark that down, people. We don't. We're gonna. We're gonna find out if Paul knows about TV or not. Susie is going to have to figure out how to run these contracts. I thought that that part was really interesting. I liked it that they actually laid out what different people made. It was kind of funny to hear like $10 and stuff like that. But also I'm kind of, I mean, we're two seasons in. I'm kind of like, like, I mean, we're starting the third season. How, how could it be that Susie would not be aware of what other acts are asking for or making or whatever in terms of like talking to other managers. Is it just that she's, she's always kind of chasing, like she's never one step ahead. She's always kind of trying to play catch up as as to like Midge's success. That and that I think she has just accepted anything that they've been given as the maximum they could expect. Okay. So do you think that this contract thing with the whole like weird ask, like any ideas of what this weird ask could be? And do you feel like that, that split with the contract where she was making like 4,500, 450 was going to go to Sue's and then Midge makes 4,050? Well, the manager split is traditionally 10%, right? So that's right on. Yeah. But the uh, weird ask that's akin to the uh, bowl of M&Ms, but no green ones or or, all that crap. Well, so do you think she'll have something really funny or do you think that it's going to be like, oh, I'm sure it'll be funny. I hope it'll be good. It'll, it won't be anything important, but it'll be funny. I want it to be wonky, like super wonky. Not just like caviar or something. Nah, that's way too boring. Yeah. I really loved that they continued on with the Susie is mistaken for a man and or small young boy business. <laughs> right. Have you like, ever thought of showing the army? <laughs> that whole part was super funny. I enjoyed the, uh, like when people like help Midge up into the Jeep and then they just like walk away from Susie. Like, 
Oh, that's just so funny. I, I love that they have maintained that and that for for whatever reason, Alex Borstein can like really play that and it's like acceptable good. It doesn't feel like you're making fun out of her, you know? It doesn't feel like we're saying she's ugly or something. It's just that she is so not feminine and she just doesn't play into what Midge does at all with the dresses and the makeup and everything that it's like, I don't know. It's very funny. It works for me very well. Yes. I mean, she's wearing a little biker jacket and little hat and all that. It kind of conf- confuses people. Uh, I guess their their gender stereotypes are very defined back then. It is funny. I like that they maintained all the the classic exchanges that happen between Susie and Midge. All the like moments where Susie's so not the softy and Midge is just like constantly pushing the boundaries with her. Like when they're standing in like side stage and like she wraps her arms around like Susie's face and she's like making her rock back and forth. And Susie's like, oh, like dying that she just is not that human. I think that their rapport is so the backbone of this entire show, even though there's so many other supporting characters that are so fantastic, their exact relationship is what so many people I think come back for every week. Alex Borstein is, has won acting awards for this role. I know she's not the lead, but you know, when you look at that supporting role title, some earn it a little more than others. You know what I mean? Oh, gosh. Yeah. I feel like she's like, it's a 60-40 with the two of them. I feel like, you know, Maisel might be the, the headliner, but I mean, she's like so, she allows Midge to be Midge because she's so the straight man. Yeah. Well, she's got her own jokes. <laughs> she totally does. <laughs> she totally does. There was a little glimpse into Susie doing some gambling with the soldiers. Do you think that that's going to come into play at all? No, I think that's just just that just reminded me actually of her with the uh, the the camp counselors. And oh I, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I don't think she gambled back. with them, but she did kind of cohabitate in bunks, and I don't know, just kind of the the camaraderie of 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 the her with the soldiers, the easy camaraderie with kind of low ranking people, basically. Yeah, what was the help, if it, you will. It reminded me of that. Yeah, she, very, very, very much so. I wonder if that that mentality not to piss on camp counselors and low ranking soldiers. If, but if but if that ease of mixing in with the lower ranks is a problem for someone that wants to be Sophie Lennon's manager. I think it will be because I think at the end of the day, she's going to get blindsided by things that happen that, you know, she just can't even ex- expect coming. You know, I just don't see it com- like possible that she's going to know what is expected. So I think that that'll be interesting. I have to say that Sophie showing up at her apartment. Oh my God, the Jackie scenes. Oh my God. I, we have to have like a moment of silence though, because mm, Jackie, the character actor passed away. And so we know that, I don't know how long that they made it in recording. I assume that he's there for all of season three, but I don't know if he, if he was there or not. I don't Um, know either. He, I didn't, when I heard that he had passed away, I was like, oh, that's sad. But he was like a small part. But now that we're in the season, I'm like, he's like really funny and adds like a great like tit for tat with Susie that I'm going to really miss in future seasons. It's weird that he has to sublet her place. Agreed. Like where the hell did he live to begin with? Well, he, he runs that club. He doesn't own it, but he does run the club where the gaslight. 
Um, right. So he was a little further up the food chain than Sue's. It seemed like, who knows? They didn't really give us any background as to like what happened. Why, why doesn't he have his own place currently? Like all that stuff. But I like that they used that to weave him into the story. I think that that was, it's plausible that he could be there and hilarious that he's like already monkeying with her place. Like it's all the things Susie can't stand, you know, like any of her stuff being moved around. The fact that he's in her apartment. Wearing the fur. Wearing the fur. <laughs> it's cold. It is cold. He is too funny. That was that was really funny. So talking about new leases, Paulo, Joel mm. is embarking on this new endeavor where no longer is he worrying about being a comedian, but now he wants to be a club owner. Remember, Moish basically kicked him out of the business last season. He was like, you need to not do this. You need to find your own thing. So this is the thing he wants. I like this for him in terms of like being able to have the the skeleton of being able to bring in new talent because with Midge on the road, in theory, she's going to stick with the same group of talent, right? Specifically shy. So in order to be able to kind of weave new people in and have like Lenny Bruce or other people come back in on the scene, I like the idea of anchoring us in the club scene with Joel. I think that works. And I really think it's hilarious that they added this backroom gambling situation. So where did you land on the whole, did Joel owe her a phone call thing? Uh, I think the only reason why they should talk moving forward here is about parenting. I really don't think that there's anything that he needed to call about. She was really clear that this was like a one night thing and she's the one that slipped out in the night. Why would he call? I think she would owe him a call because she's the one that slipped out. That's how I would play it. If you're the one left in bed, I don't, I think if you're calling, you're like chasing after them. Right. So well, yeah. And the, and the fact that she, she asked about it makes you wonder like, you know, I think that she has mixed feelings. We have to remember from the very beginning, he's the one that left her. She was not unhappy in their marriage supposedly. He's the one that was cheating on her. So in that case, it's not like she was ready for that relationship to be over. And now she's playing it like real loose with coming back to him back and forth. You know, there's still a lot of feelings there. There's still a lot of weird stuff between them. Okay. Still, I don't think it's like whomever's left laying in bed last. I don't think that person is responsible to call the person who left. Ah. Like that seems like just standard because otherwise you're like chasing them right and like if they left then that's sort of like i need to go and then when they're when they don't want to talk to you they should call but i think typically it's the guy who does leave first or whatever but you know in her case she pulled like every line like i had to get up early that's like every man line right i wouldn't know are you familiar with tv and or movies or books we'll find out if i was <laughs> are you excited about joel being this club owner do you think that this is something that matches him and that's something that is going to work for the show i do in that he does have a background in business and he helped make his dad's business, you know, run better. And he came from a completely other business. What was it? Plastics or something like that. Mm -hmm. So he's just got one of those general business minds that knows how to make a business work. And so I think that part of it makes, you know, just perfect sense. And then the, the other part about his, if, if, if you forget uh, dear listener, the show started with us going to his comedy shows. So he's had this itch to be in that scene the whole time. So this is not a new fascination for him. This is, this, this all makes a lot of good sense for his, his character. 
Agree. And I think that like the Moisha's business, you know, put him in a position of being in that kind of salesy, kind of schmoozy, kind of making connections kind of business. And that's very much how I feel like club owning would be like you. Ha- it's all about relationships and getting to know people and, and you know, keeping them close. You know, I wonder if uh, moving Joel out of the office and then moving the parents physically away to Queens, if that if that means there will be less Maisel parents uh, this coming season? That is a fair question because let's move on to Miriam's parents, Abe and Rose, and talk about what are we going to see of the parents this this season? What is going on? So oh. we, we did get that little glimpse into the Maisels that they are... It appears to be building a home because they have a, a blueprint. Yeah. So they're building a home in Queens. And then we have Abe and Rose who need to find new place to live because Columbia owned the apartment. I Might their paths cross? <laughs> That'd be funny. Their scene was another one that sh- that reflected the big changes that have been going on with their characters over the seasons. Abe, if there's if there's like a if there could be like a third lead on this show, I think it's got to be Abe although mm-hmm. Rose has has gone from dutiful mom and and wife to someone that is tired of taking shit and and will hand it back to you right and and that 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 began last season you know obviously she left and went to France and all that kind of stuff and, and came back as a changed person but now that Abe is is going through a little finding himself phase of his of his life she's she's not mean about it she's just having him face reality about what what all this costs yeah who knew that she had a trust fund i had no idea and that that's what is you know really propelling their life in a lot of ways also i think that maybe a being the third lead you could look at him like he is also representative of of a certain slice of the population that was going from this 50s mentality the company man and you know being so lockstep with the university and with the idea of you know just you just work for the same place for 50 years you get your your gold watch and you leave kind of thing the fact that he is also going from this like 50s man to the 60s man thinking more about free speech civil rights these kinds of things are going to come up i think that he may give us the little vehicle to be able to examine what's going on more societally because Midge is in this like very pocketed situation. We might be able to see what it is like for an individual person to be exploring this from a, you know, white guy point of view. I think shy is going to give us more of what is it going to be like when we're looking at like diversity and civil rights and stuff from a different point of view. Midge, certainly from a woman's point of view, we've kind of delved in that like a wee bit, but I think that watching Abe and seeing his personal growth, not just finding himself, but the national or even international movement of it's not okay to just look at yourself as the company man, but start thinking about like free speech and and having your own voice and not just being one of the pack. It'll be interesting to see where that goes because they are weaving in and out of reality in terms of like who we meet, Miss America's and, right? and Len- Lenny Bruce's. It's, it's almost like there's sort of like a, uh, a notoriety cap placed on the Maisels and and the Weismans, like they're they can't get famous enough that everybody should know their name because they're they're fictional people. You know what I mean? Sure. But that what does that what does that mean in terms of like their overall reach? You know, and like can he hang out with Timothy Leary in in seasons to come or right. or or what? The fact that. They- 
they actually wove him into the Lenny Bruce storyline was surprising. Yes. I didn't I didn't know or foresee a path that the two of them could have been in the same place at the same time. But this whole free speech and rights in general discussion and the fact that they both go to jail together and he's willing to actually bail Lenny out, actually, roses. Recalling the first episode, yeah. Yeah, I thought that that was very expertly done in terms of I didn't see those two characters teaming up in any kind of way. It allows Lenny to not only have to play the role of this potential love interest, like he can actually be a dialogue partner with Abe in a completely different storyline, which is great because it means we don't have to lose the character just because Midge goes on tour. Right. I mean, that's one character that fans have been asking for more of, which which is Lenny Bruce. Yeah. And so again, since we're in 59, we all know that Lenny Bruce passes away in real life in 1966. So we still have a good amount of time with him. So I feel like I'm like, okay, okay. Do you, we don't get to his death. Do you think? Right. I don't, I bet not. I bet this is season three from what I've heard. We're going to go to season five. So that feels good in terms of like keeping Lenny vital. Yeah. (laughs) At least upright. Right. Yeah. So that's a good thing. I'm excited to see Abe and Lenny's connection and see where that's going to go. And I think that the Rose and Abe's conversations about how their life really worked. I, I loved that in terms of, again, speaking to that, what you thought our 1950s life was like. You thought you were the breadwinner. You thought you were doing it all on your own. You thought you understood what, you know, the price of the maid was and all that kind of stuff. But in reality, women were always behind the scenes, always running different parts of the show. And in fact, she was bringing her own money to the table with the trust fund that somehow Abe was just not even paying attention to. Seems a little hard to believe in terms of the books. But also if she was just doing this via cash, like he thought he wrote down that he paid the maid, but really it was only half of what she really made. That's clever and real. Yeah. I mean, he met Lenny because he was confronted with the idea of him being ignorant and he couldn't live with that. In in multiple ways. I mean, obviously ignorant to the books, ignorant to how the life was going. But then, of course, Midge has this blow up and says, you are ignorant to what is going on outside our door. And so once confronted with it, he goes right and meets it. And so, you know, he might have been criminally ignorant about about not knowing how his family's finances worked. Okay, but now that he knows about it. I bet it. I bet it's something he concerns himself with uh, first and foremost to make sure everybody's taken care of. And I definitely think that it will allow Rose and Abe's relationship to change a lot in terms of realizing how much she is a part of everything. There was sort of that whole, you know, like you even said at the beginning, like, you know, he went off to work every day. He's the provider. He's the breadwinner. It's like, yeah, but so is she. And like, you didn't realize how much she was doing. And I think if he comes back to the table, understanding how much she's doing, then they stand to have a much more equal relationship and a more interesting evolved relationship as we're moving through the show. I think that's a guarantee because I don't think he wants to lose her. I mean, he went to France to go get her back. For sure. Which is, so this is kind of a cool evolution of that because he could have had to have just changed purely because she supposedly like, you know, put her foot down, moved away. They kind of had this separation period. But this is even more so. Like they are actually having a much more revealing 
how this relationship really works and how our family has really been successful all these years. It really hasn't just been a much to his surprise. (laughs) Well, I'm looking forward to a bunch of surprises for this season. I hope that there's lots of twists and turns. I know being in season three, we run the risk of it being like, okay, you know who the characters are. You, we have established, you know, what their storyline is generally going to be. So now just sit back and turn in every week and blah, blah, blah. And I don't want that. Like, I still want twists and turns. I still want surprises. I want, I want to be wondering what's going to happen next. And sometimes these third season, fourth season, oh yeah, we're going to end it in the fifth season. So now we're going to throw everything in the kitchen sink here. Everything's in the whole thing is going to be going on in season five. Thanks a lot for sticking through three and four where you just had to quietly eat your popcorn and and just kind of go along with us every week. I hope that the dance numbers are not an indicator. Oh, you are hilarious with that. I think you should just get used to it, that there's going to be a lot of focus on and appreciating those moments during that time. They've done that in other instances and been clever about it and made it important instead of just exercising their own whims on what their personal interests are and making us all sit through it. You know what Sometimes I, mean? I think that that because the costuming and the music and the style overall of the shots and of the show, I don't want them to pare that down. I don't there's no reason for them to say like, well, they get it. They get it that we know how to do vibrant colors. They get it that we know how to do exciting shots. Let's just clip, clip, clip and get to the important parts of the show. Like I'm OK with them leaving it a little flowery in between, meaning go ahead and lag a little on the tap dancing. Let me see. I want to see their choreography i think it's funny and cool and makes me smile and that kind of stuff and so because the costuming and music and the general tone of the show is a character unto itself i don't think they need to just ditch it i get it in this first one a whole song multiple you know but really that one whole song i was like okay i mean (laughs) (laughs) guys this is getting to be a lot but i i hear what you're saying hey one thing i think speaking of a wardrobe and wardrobe malfunction i definitely think that that part when she's taking the group shot and she like her skirt flips up and there's a photograph. Every part of my bone says that shit's coming back to haunt her bad. I believe it. That's kind of thing when your manager needs to take the cameras up and say, give me your film. (laughs) You can't trust anybody with that. That's for damn sure. And I think that's going to be probably a source of conflict for Suze and Midge in the future, because that's the type of thing that a manager, she can't know what it looked like from the other side. She can't know exactly when they, when they flash the camera ball, but your manager sure as hell should be watching. And so hopefully she wasn't too distracted thinking about other stuff. And she noticed, and you know, again, that's like when usually your bodyguard or something like pulls the film right out of the camera says no way take more take more pictures but you're not getting that one good call thanks so much for listening you guys all right thanks thank you for listening this has been an original pod clubhouse production pod clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.